I love Christmas. Love the Christmas season. It is best time of the year. Thanksgiving, I'm thankful for it. It's just a passing into the Christmas season for me. Um, and what I love about each Sunday is that as we move into this Advent season is that we get to take each Sunday and focus on a different type of theme that Advent kind of has historically given. And today, as you've already heard, is the theme of hope. And Jeremiah is one of these stories that we hear, one of these books of this prophet that is filled and beaming with hope, even though Jeremiah's circumstances are incredibly bleak, incredibly sad and challenging. But they're wonderful stories and they're wonderful passages that encourage us and focus our attention on the Advent theme of hope. Over the past several weeks, God has just been continuing to stir in me and encourage me by teaching me about hope. I think probably more than ever in my, in, in my life. And looking through the lens of hope, it changes our circumstances. It changes our worries and it changes our future in a sense as it draws us into the reality of what is true. We aren't putting our hope in something, we're putting our hope in someone. And Advent, this is the season that we get to celebrate when Jesus came, became incarnate and we get to redirect our hope if it's been askewed or if it's wandered to bringing back hope in his second coming for his return. Jeremiah 23, it's an Advent passage of God sharing the good news with a people caught in despair through a prophet who is lonely and discouraged. In darkness, light shines clearest. In the darkness, we see as even a beam of light. And in this passage, we discover how Jesus turns seasons of hopelessness into hopeful anticipation and expectation. So we're going to be putting our attention into verses 5 and 6. And so I'm going to read that first half of verse 5, where we're going to see this promise of hope. It says, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5, the first half, it says, Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration when I will raise up a righteous branch for David. So we're going to pause for a second and just look at that first phrase, look, the days are coming. I kind of, I realized there was a point uh, several years back that I realized um, that I was like a culturally different in international circumstances, like my American really shined funny enough through that one word look so when Amy and I we were taking our kids to um, this is how it first happened we were taking our kids to these Japanese temples um, we were going through the gardens and we were really excited about being there so much so that we for, that we didn't realize that everyone was silently walking through this where we had three toddlers 
And I was so loud. I didn't, I didn't realize it until, until we were up towards the temple. And I kept on saying, look at this. Look at that. Oh, look at this. Gabe, come on up. Come up the stairs. And Gabe's coming up as a three-year-old. And he's jumping up and down. And we were super loud. That, it didn't even hit me then. But then it hit me later when I was talking to a friend of mine who's uh, Filipino. And he said that in the Philippines that they don't even say the word look, but instead they use an expression with their eyebrows where they point with their eyebrows. I was like, I'm doing it all wrong. His house is so quiet. While I'm telling all of my kids to look here, look there, do this, you know, kind of do that, he's just silently raising his eyebrows up and down and his kids are obeying. I'm like, I got to change something. I got to change something. But our posture and our language and the things that we can do often, though loud or quiet, have a way of communicating something clearly. To my friend, he can just silently move his eyebrows up and down and his kids are directed to look into a direction that he wants them to go. For me, I it very loudly, now self-consciously loudly, do the likewise with my voice. Israel needed a very loud redirection. Israel needed to look and the eyebrows weren't quite working for them. Our passage begins with God redirecting Israel's attention from a horizontal hope to a vertical hope in what he declares because Israel was looking to anyone and everyone else other than God. Israel's vision of the Lord was dimmed for a couple of different reasons. One of the reasons was is that at this point in time, Israel as a nation had split into two kingdoms. So there was insecurity. Everyone was looking at the southern kingdom of Judah to try to figure out what's going to happen next because the northern kingdom had been completely demolished and was taken over. So while everyone was looking at this, the answer of, is God good enough? And is he really going to lead us into the next place, the next season of prosperity, the next place of hope that we need, was, was challenged. So much so that their actions began to reflect that they were putting their hope in everyone and everything else. Israel's vision of the Lord had dimmed. Her hope wasn't in the God who brought them out of the Egypt. Her hope was in everything else. It was in their own ability to either stir up strife or secure aid from other nations. The two words describe this as darkness and disaster. Israel was experiencing something also that they were familiar with, which was God's judgment from their sin. As a nation split in two kingdoms, a horizontal hope was not only um, prevalent, but it was kind of expected. But we always see horizontal hope in physical solutions. But God calls us to so much more than that. 
And so there, in the midst of this darkness and disaster, enter Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, he's this, he's this character that I want to focus on for, for a bit this morning because Jeremiah's story is so comforting and so sad all at the same time. God spoke so graciously to him and yet brought him one of the most challenging ministries in the history of the scriptures. And he was a young prophet. He didn't have all of this, you know, in the sense of looking, comparing him to Moses, he didn't have 40 years of being a shepherd where he just learned to like not work with people. He was like a young prophet. He brought all of this stuff was brought into him anew, but God continued to comfort him. So as we're kind of looking at this, as we're looking at the theme of hope, I want to find and see this character, Jeremiah, as someone deeply relatable to us. If you're someone who's been lonely, the scriptures show you someone you can walk next to and see God's goodness in. If you're someone who's anxious, anxious about the present or anxious about the future, God has given us someone to see that he has worked through. So first, let's look at Jeremiah's calling. Chapter 1, verse 5, it says, God speaks to Jeremiah and says, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then we see in, in verse 10, See, I have appointed you today over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and demolish, to build and to plant. And to plant. So that's just quite a calling. But Jeremiah's hope was constantly challenged because looking horizontally at the physical things that he could see around him brought kind of a different reality. And this is the biggest one. No one listened to him for 40 years. Guys, we give up things in like six months. Think about our New Year's resolutions and the different things that we set. That's like three weeks, right? Let's be honest. It's like three weeks. But real things we set our, our minds to. We kind of reevaluate eight, maybe a year. This was... This was faithfulness that was challenged for 40 years. And no one cared. And no one listened. The book of Jeremiah is almost like this memoir of a conversation between God and this chosen prophet. And yet in it is this foundation of God's calling. This foundation deeply said that God had chosen Jeremiah for this special time. Whatever he looked at and whatever he experienced or saw, what could not be shaken was God choosing him. God forming him, God taking hold of him. He has been appointed. Everything else cannot shake that. It cannot change that. But during, this mo during his ministry, he had several moments of, of crisis. The first was loneliness. 
And I hope that this resonates with people to see as, the, as, as, he's, as I share this with you. His loneliness, this is what he says in chapter 8. My joy has flown away. Grief has settled on me. My heart is sick. Listen, the cry of my dear people from a faraway land. Is the Lord no longer in Zion? Her king not within her? Jeremiah also struggled with this discouragement. He says, I won't mention him or speak any longer in his name. But his message becomes a fire burning in my heart, shut up in my bones. I become tired of holding it in, and I cannot prevail. That, to me, is such a beautiful description of someone wrestling with the vertical hope that they, that they believe in that is deeply rooted within them, the message that they need to share, and yet the very real and honest reality that life is really hard and that we can go through extreme grief we can go through extreme discouragement. But as believers, the message of the gospel, no matter our circumstances, will continue to burst out of us. No matter the amount of discouragement that we are in. But Jeremiah also had another crisis, which was evil and injustice. Speaking to the Lord, he says, You will be righteous, Lord, even if I bring a case against you. Yet, I wish to contend with you. Why does the wicked prosper? Why do all the treacherous live at ease? You planted them, and they have taken root. They have grown and produced fruit. You are, you are ever on their lips, but far from their conscience. As for you, Lord, you know me. You see me. You test whether my heart is with you. Drag the wicked away like sheep to slaughter and set them apart for the day of killing. As we look at all that Jeremiah was going through, loneliness, discouragement, evil, injustice, it's almost fair to ask, what's the point? Why keep walking in the same direction that continues to lead to more questions and to more discouragement and to more loneliness? What is the point? Because God says, look, the days are coming. That's God's answer of comfort to Jeremiah. Jeremiah's comfort is, the Lord, the word of the Lord came to me. House of Israel, can I not treat you as this potter treats his clay? And this is what the Lord says to him and says to us. Just like clay in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand house of Israel. The promise of hope that combats and defeats all loneliness, all discouragement, all evil, and all injustice is we are never outside the Father's hands. Amen?
We are never outside the Father's hands. In your darkest moments, in all of your loneliness, in your discouragement, God is holding on to you. God is holding on to you, and it cannot, you cannot leave his grasp. Are you putting your hope in an everlasting father? Or are we looking temporarily to comforts that make us feel better in the short term? To rest in a vertical hope is to recognize and believe and trust God that he's holding on to you. And I think it's important for us to ask then, okay, so if I want to change, if I want my, I, if I'm recognizing that my hope is becoming a bit more horizontal, I'm looking at the physical things, not necessarily the vertical things, well, how do I do that then? How do I continue to put my hope in him? And I believe that Jeremiah, this is one of the, the best examples for us because he's not trying to skirt past and kind of bring in a superficial type of Christianity that we run into all the time today. This is deep. This is real. And for him, it's to see and evaluate his actions towards the reality that God is teaching him. Asking, do my actions testify a hope in Christ? What are my actions saying about what I believe? To take it even deeper, where are my loves being directed? We are, we do what we love. To start there is to begin to realign and move our hope upward into a vertical posture. And in that, we get to see and experience the good news that God does not wait for us to get there. It's not a workspace thing where we have to do all of the work to find God. No, God doesn't wait. God is the one calling out to us to look. And it's in communion with him that we begin to divert our attention from all of the temptations around us to our hope in Christ. Isaiah 43 says something similar to God just to replant what he is doing where he says, look, I am about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you see it? I, I think that just to challenge you or to encourage you, I hope it's an encouragement, you should just write down, do you see it on a post-it note and put it up on your fridge? Do you see it? What we look to makes such a big difference and how we see the Lord. In seasons of hopelessness, God is not merely satisfied with stirring your affections. God is not putting a, a pressure. He's redirecting our imaginations. Look, he is about to do something new. Do you see it? The righteous branch of David is coming. Now this righteous branch that the Lord talks about is Jesus. And here we move from the promise of hope in the coming king to understand 
the presence of hope. This is the second half of chapter, uh, verse 5, where he says, He will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. And then moving into the first part of verse 6, In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. Now I want to accompany this with Zechariah chapter 3, where it says, Listen, high priest Judah, Joshua, you and your colleagues sitting before you, indeed, these men are a sign that I am about to bring my servant, the branch. So we get this language, this name of the branch, of the coming Messiah. And what it's speaking to is taking the promise of hope into the very presence of hope, into the present state of what is happening with Israel. And as we look beyond that and we look into our own time, we get to see this truth that kind of resounds over all of it, which is all governments in their best moments are just a shadow of what's to come. God has brought his branch, Jesus, to be the presence of hope for a world that is caught in darkness and disaster. And the church, being the bride of the bridegroom, is the physical presence of hope called to bring a greater sense of stability to our communities. I think in our world today, we see a lack of faith, but we feel a lack of hope. We live in one of the most anxious cities in the United States. And I often see a lack of faith, but I feel a lack of hope. Hope has a stabilizing presence. Hope has a stabilizing presence. And faith and hope work together in the Christian life. Faith comes by hearing. Hope comes by the experience. Faith looks back at what was promised and hope looks forward and waits. But both work together. If we were to think of our promise that God has given us as a tether, faith and hope kind of hang on either side of that promise. Causes the disciple to become satisfied in Jesus. I love what John Bunyan, he's a Puritan writer, he says, faith and hope take both ends of the promise and carry it safely all the way. Faith looks through the word to God in Christ. Hope looks through faith beyond the world to glory. Both work together. And hope in the present is a stabilizing presence. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. Do we believe that in the time that we're in, that our actions speak a stabilizing presence of hope? Is hope what people see 
And that's a question I'm asking myself. Is hope something people see in me? Or do I often get swept up in the anxieties and the, the fast-paced city living? Do I get caught up in all of these things? I want to be a stabilizing presence. I want to be a stabilizing hope where people would come to see the church. They would come and they would come to me. They would talk to me. And they would see hope. It's inspiring to dwell securely. And again, it's not in all the physical things around us. It's in Christ. It's in Him. Our faith rests in the promise of hope, in the presence of hope, and it also rests in the person of hope. The end of verse 6, it says, This is the name he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Now, that's a significant title. The Lord is our righteousness. King Zedekiah, he was the king during Jeremiah's time, and his name means the Lord is righteous. So what's happening here? Is he talking about King Zedekiah or is he talking about God? This title, it has a double meaning. Jeremiah is using the king's name to say God's righteous branch of David, the coming Messiah, will be our righteousness. So he's taking it a step further to say, don't, don't have trust. You think that this, this king or you think this government is going to bring you a hope. No, you need that vertical hope upward. The Lord, his name, the Lord is our righteousness. Not this Lord whose name is righteous. You see what I'm saying? This is the heart, and this is where the gospel begins to shine forth when we get to see this name. The Lord is our righteousness. No one is righteous before God. We don't have enough righteousness within us to justify ourselves before him. But the gospel is a gospel of hope about a Savior who ties faith and hope to the promise of his people. Because he is the branch, Jesus is our righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, it says, It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom and God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. We no longer need to look to ourselves for righteousness. God has given us his son to be our righteousness through faith. And in that, when we're tempted to look at other things that claim to be righteous, God tells us, look, Look, and when we want to rest in Jesus' righteousness and we want to say, God, I am with you, I, I trust you, but I'm just seeing and I am feeling pain. I am feeling grief. I'm discouraged and I'm worn out. Look, the days are coming because my hope is tied 
to Jesus, whose name is righteousness. That's the significance of Advent when we're putting our hope in Christ. The significance of Luke, verse 30 through 32. Gabriel, when he visits Mary, he says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Jesus, Emmanuel, means God with us. This righteousness, the branch of David, will not be far off or farly removed. It will be with us. God with us was born as the King of Kings and gives us his righteousness. Our righteous, his righteousness is not something that we can't attain. It's something that is coming to us and it is for us. And that is where our hope lies. In the coming of King Jesus again, the person of hope. And as you read the, the scriptures this Advent season, we wanted to find a way that everyone could be reading the scriptures and be encouraged. So we put some Advent devotionals together for families where you can read together as a family. We have some um, devotionals for adults that you can read together. And it's the purpose of it is that this Advent season, we would saturate ourselves in the scriptures and see how all of scripture reflects and points to this Advent season and this coming Advent season that will happen. And what we, our hope is for us and what we can do now is to place ourselves in a posture of gratitude for the past and hope for the future. Look to the one who came and is coming again. In him, the scriptures make the declaration, look. My question for you is, are you looking? Are you looking? Keep your hope in Jesus. No matter the circumstance, no matter the discouragement, and no matter even the, the good times, the joyful seasons, let all seasons of life, let all emotions and all circumstances point to the person of hope that we have in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you frail and weak and in need of hope. There is so much to be rejoicing in, and yet sometimes our circumstances make it hard to see. God, I pray that your calling for us to look to Jesus would cause us comfort and would comfort us in every moment of our lives whether we're frustrated 
with parenting or frustrated with our jobs or frustrated with something that's not going our way, we would remember that there are physical, that there are horizontal hopes that we are tempted to put ourselves in, but you call us to something so much better and so much greater. You call us to a hope in Christ and you provide it for us. You've given us the righteous branch of David for us to enjoy and for us to put our hopes and our loves in. And I pray that we would respond in faith. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.